What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Well, JC, that was a hell of a game, too, and aren't you glad we didn't record after that Game 1 massacre? Welcome back. Welcome in, everybody. It is the Hoop Ball Lakers podcast. We are stoked to be with you after a big Game 2 win for the Los Angeles Lakers. 111-88 to over the Portland Trail Blazers. Tie the series up at 1. It's Ethan, it's JC, JC. These are the Lakers that fans are looking for. Yeah, top to bottom, all around great defensive performance that, that led to a lot of impressive offense. Uh, started out slow from three, but they ended up making 14 for the night. So, yeah, this is kind of what you what you should expect to see, a defensive-minded uh, team and that leads to some really great offense. The number one offensive team in the bubble, the Portland Trailblazers, prior to this game, the Lakers limited them to 20 points or fewer in three of the first four quarters, and we're not even going to count the fourth quarter because it was the all-scrub quarter. So, J.C., I think, obviously, a 20-plus point win and pretty much a game that the Lakers had control of from start to finish is obviously impressive, especially after that miserable game one. But I think the way the Lakers came out and played defense, like you said tonight, that's what really set the tone, and that's what this team needs to you know, really incorporate into its identity or reincorporate into its identity if they're going to get back to that level of basketball they were playing before things got shut down in March. Yeah, and and I think it, it's one of the things I always look for at the start of every game. I, I don't I don't know that any Laker has ever said it in an interview, but I know I've said it time and time again how I look forward to seeing the way JaVale is going to set the tone for the team and didn't have a great start in game one. And this game, he had a really great start. And I feel like that sort of kicks everything going. Well, I, I think you're right. And, you know, the Lakers, obviously everything's going to be about Anthony Davis and LeBron James to a certain extent. But it just goes to show you that perhaps not because LeBron comes out and has this historic game one, but he's pretty much the only one who shows up outside of AD putting up the numbers, albeit inefficient. And then in game two, LeBron's sitting here with 10 points and six turnovers on 11 shots, and the Lakers win this game by 23 points. Yeah, it's a, it's an encouraging sign to see that the Lakers can win when LeBron plays that way. Uh, so Because you know there's going to be times where he's going to feel like he needs to play like he did in game one, and 
Hopefully the rest of the team comes along with him in those games. It just didn't happen in game one. But, yeah, it's an encouraging sign. You know, the Lakers have these guys in their supporting parts who are streaky, for lack of a better way to say it, or built from that energy. So I think to build off of your point, you know, when they see JaVale McGee coming out, fired up, energetic, ready to play from the on, from the onset, Anthony Davis crashing the offensive boards early and really setting the tone, it gets guys like KCP going. It gets guys, at least uh, defensively, it gets guys like Danny Green going. And then even Markeith Morris, although he was one of five from the floor, I did like, you know, kind of what he brought into the mix. And I know that's something that we talked about was more Keith uh, prior to the playoffs actually starting. And so I'm glad to see that coming into place. Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't sit here and talk about early that it was just a different style of rotation tonight from the Lakers. And you sit here, obviously, there's always going to be minutes that are askew in a blowout like this going into the fourth quarter. But J.R. Smith in the second quarter, ahead of Dion Waiters, we need to talk about that, J.C., because that's brand new. Yeah, I'm really surprised that Dion hasn't gotten a lot of minutes in game one and game in this game, game two. He got a lot of minutes because it was a blowout. But, yeah, he played a little bit at the end of the first half in game one, and I don't think he played in the second half. And so, to me, I thought he was playing really well in the bubble, and I thought he earned those minutes to run the second unit, and he just hasn't been given that opportunity in these two games. Yeah, it's interesting because based on you know what we saw prior to the playoffs beginning, it kind of seemed like Dion was being groomed for that role of that guard off the bench after after Alex Caruso, right? Where he came in, he gave him the minutes. You were talking about maybe fifteen to twenty minutes a game for Dion. And you look at tonight's game. Now, obviously, Jr. played a lot in the fourth quarter, so that definitely influenced it. But Caruso, seventeen minutes, although he did have some early foul trouble. Waiters wound up with fifteen. Jr. wound up with twenty-two. And so I'm curious to see how that kind of shakes out going forward, especially considering it sounds like Rajon Rondo is going to be back in the mix for game three here. Yeah, I think, and, and when JR was in there ahead of Waiters, I, d- I did like the decision-making he was uh, he was making out there. He didn't shoot a lot of dumb threes. He had a couple of really nice uh, drives and dishes. So I thought his decision-making was really good. And so in that sense, both him and Markeith Morris, I was like, maybe... I mean, there are guys who are just gamers and guys who just get up for the playoffs, and so that might be what's going on. I don't remember off the top of my head what kind of playoff experience Dion Waiters has, but that might be what's going on. Could be. and I think, I think really with the Lakers being so successful tonight, although some of these energy guys, KCP was hot early, JaVale obviously played well, but Anthony Davis, JC, Anthony Davis came to play tonight. It, it, it felt like there were a couple times where he might have tweaked his ankle or it looked like he was limping a little bit. I know he turned it against the stanchion at one point. But Anthony Davis, in 29 minutes, had 31 and 11 and was a plus 32. Now, those are some video game numbers if I've ever seen them. Yeah, his energy was really great tonight. And in, in a way, it was kind of aided by the poor shooting of the Lakers because in the, the first half of that first quarter, I think he had three or four offensive rebounds from from missed threes and so right away his his engagement was was really high because his energy was his energy usage was really high grabbing those rebounds it was and you know I, I like to see that level of aggressiveness and the thing that I liked the most about it was he was really picking it up early in the paint and that's something that I've been kind of hammering throughout here because even when the Lakers played the Rockets before the playoffs got started Anthony Davis was floating around on the perimeter when you got Robert Covington in the middle trying to guard him as a center and P.J. Tucker. So now to see Anthony Davis really getting down low, especially against a team that deploys two bigs in Yusuf Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside, I thought that was a really encouraging sign for the Lakers just generally. And then, of course, the more that the supporting parts 
KCP, Danny Green, J.R. Smith, Caruso, Kuzma, et cetera, et cetera, the more those guys can hit their threes, the more it's going to open up the floor for the playmaking, especially with LeBron and AD out there. So I thought KCP was excellent tonight. He was plus 24 with 16 points. Big bounce back game for him. Kuzma didn't do a whole lot with his time out there, but he didn't really have to. And then obviously, like I said, I'm curious to see kind of how this J.R. Dion Caruso Rondo show shakes out. And, you know, I think after game one, there was so much conversation about, oh, man, the Lakers play off Rondo. Thank goodness he's coming back. And I'm sitting there like, man, if the Lakers got to rely on Rajon Rondo to save this team with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they have a bigger problem to talk about. But, yeah. I, but I think tonight's game, JC, is a good reminder of what this Lakers team is capable of. And I wouldn't even say they were firing on all cylinders. I would say they were firing on most cylinders tonight. Yeah, for sure. And because, yeah, there are things that the Lakers have in their back pocket that you can rely on for future games. Like, yeah, LeBron didn't didn't have, have an all-world game tonight, but there's going to be nights where he will. And there's going to be nights where both him and AD are hitting their shots. And so that's going to be hopefully a dominant night for the rest of the team. Kyle Kuzma, like you said, didn't have to do very much tonight, but for the few, the few minutes that he was in there, his aggressiveness is still really high. I, I like his decision-making now all of a sudden where it's not all about him and the shot that he can create for himself. He's he's playing really smart on offense and give, giving a lot of effort on defense, so that's really great to see. Yeah, I think these guys are all bought into the team concept. There's no question about that. I don't think there's anybody on this Lakers team that plays a selfish style of basketball at this point, and I think Kuzma has matured in that regard. But if this Lakers team is going to go as far as, as, it, as it hopes, and you know obviously that's beyond the first round, it's going to need those steady con- uh, contributions from some of those quote-unquote spare parts. So before we get into the spare parts, I do want to mention one thing, which is obviously Damian Lillard left game two with a dislocated finger. X-rays were negative, so obviously it's not broken. But it looked, I mean, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We're sitting here on TV watching it like the rest of y'all. But it looked like a very odd dislocation. It looked like they ruled him out pretty quickly, not that there was a lot of reason to bring him back. But it almost looked like it was a dislocation that was closer to his hand than it was the tip of his finger. It just seemed very weird. So I'm curious to see how that impacts him. If he is going to play in Game 3, you know he'll do everything he can to be out there. That's who Damian Lillard is. But you got to imagine he's going to at least have to wear some sort of splint or some sort of handpiece, and that's just going to be an additional challenge for him and this Blazers team. Yeah, a lot of times you see a a jammed finger or a dislocated finger, you see it in the first knuckle or the second knuckle. And in this time, this one, it looked like it hit from the third knuckle, which is kind of right where you you hit with your fist. Not sure exactly what body part or what bone that that joint connection is. But yeah, you don't typically see... It's basically an entire finger dislocation as opposed to like the first half of the finger dislocation, which is more common. Right. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, they they took him back to the locker room instead of just trying to pop it back in on the sideline there. Of course, there are different protocols in place with COVID and, you know, what you can and can't do. But, you know, Lillard seemed pretty frustrated right away. This whole Blazers team was frustrated all night. I mean, this was a complete sort of reversal of what we saw in game one. The Blazers were ice cold from downtown. Only eight threes for the Blazers tonight. Lillard and McCollum a combined two of 12 from distance. And the two of those guys combined. Now, even though Lillard left this game early, he still played 30 minutes. McCollum played 33. Two of those guys combined for 31 points. That's the level of defense this Lakers team played tonight. And, I mean, I can't say it enough. That is the style of basketball this this group really needs to focus on. And I, I know you and I have both sat here on this podcast, which, of course, you can find on Twitter, wherever you listen to podcasts, at Hoopball Lakers, the Hoopball Lakers pod, okay? We've sat here on this podcast time and time again, JC, and we've said, 
the Lakers too often play to their level of opponent, meaning, yes, they can beat them playing the opponent's style of play, but they've got so much talent that they can come out and sort of ram it down the opposition's throat. And I felt like this was one game tonight where that was the mood and the motive from the opening tip. Yeah, they, they've got to establish the way that they want to play, and they've got to set the tone for the game for themselves. And I mean, right away, they, I mean, being down early is not a huge deal if it's only a couple of points, but yeah, I think they started down four to nothing, and then it was even kind of tight for the first half of that first quarter. And so it it didn't seem like the game was going to end this way. And at one point, that was they even had an 11-point lead in which somebody tweeted to the Hoopball Tweets account, uh, that this doesn't feel like an 11-point lead. And and I responded with, yeah, I'm certainly not comfortable. And that did feel like a moment in which the game could either continue to turn out really great or the Blazers, you know, the it'll end up the way it is. Like the Blazers could come back at that moment being down by 11 or the Lakers could kind of open it up. And luckily the Lakers opened it up from that point. No doubt. And it was nice to see AD hit some threes. I mean, it was nice to see anyone wearing a Lakers jersey hit some threes, but it was nice to see AD hit some threes. Obviously, KCP was four of six. Danny Green got one. We'll talk about him in just a second. J.R. Smith wound up with a few after some garbage time uh, production in the fourth quarter. So this Lakers group as a whole was much, much better. You, The other thing you like to see from this Lakers team is they made 44 field goals tonight, 26 assists. That's a big number, and only 14 turnovers. So, I, you know, the turnovers could be even lesser. LeBron obviously had six of those. But 14 turnovers, six from LeBron, only eight from the rest of the team while the Blazers had 17, and the Blazers only had 14 assists on their 34 Mayfield goals. So just another piece of evidence as to what was working for the Lakers tonight. But I want to go back to Danny Green, JC, because this has been a concern for an extended period of time now. And and although at least tonight defensively, Danny Green was, I don't want to say prolific, but he was productive. He had four steals in 22 minutes. He was a plus 21. I'm growing very concerned about what Danny Green's role is and or should be as this Lakers team moves forward. Because if he's going to be one of six and one of four from the floor, I'm not sure he should be out there given the other options that guard right now. Yeah, as many as many open threes as he's able to take, it's it's getting kind of frustrating. And, and you can even kind of see every now and then he'll hesitate just a little bit. And so it's even in his own head. And that's that's the worst place for him to be. Like you want to be encouraging because he's an NBA player and say have a short memory, but I mean time's gonna come for him to make some shots, and he's he's still not doing it. And in this series, I guess it's a little bit more forgivable because his main assignment is to to try to hold uh, Damian Lillard as best as you can hold a guy like Damian Lillard. But yeah, it's I'm beginning to see how uh, I live in Austin, Texas, and I would go to, I go to Spurs games pretty frequently, and I'm beginning to see why. Spurs fans were starting to get a little tired of Danny Green towards the end of his run there. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's kind of why, myself included, okay, but that's but I understood it within the context of the team, but that's kind of why, you know, so many people raised that eyebrow when they saw Danny Green's contract to come play for Lakers. They said, really? $15 million a year for this guy, huh? And obviously it was more about circumstance and, you know, constructing this team together than it was the talent in the vacuum in terms of the contract value. But right now, especially if Rondo, if Rondo plays well when, when he's now back in the mix, I really think Frank Vogel's got to look at that guard rotation and say, look, I got to play KCP at least you know, 20 to 25 minutes when he's going well. I got to play Caruso for at least 15 to 22 minutes. And I got JR, who looks like he might have a role now. We've got Dion here. You got to make a decision somewhere in that mix, right? 
Yeah, if 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 Rondo can run the second unit efficiently, then or I mean, yeah, even if he plays defense really well, I think you could in theory move him to the starting lineup and sort of have LeBron be that point forward that he's been his whole career in that has been that made him one of the best players of all time without him being the point guard all the time. You might reduce turnovers that that way. Um, it's yeah, I mean, there's still some experimentation they could do with that second guard spot. One of the things that Frank Vogel has been sort of criticized for in his coaching career, JC, is his rigidity, for lack of a better way to say it, right? So everybody sort of, you know, gave him a lot of kudos when he was with the Pacers in his ability to coach up a team that people might have expected less of. But one of the things he was really harpooned for, for lack of a better way to say it, was his inability to to mix things up when things got tough. But I think tonight was a good example of Frank Vogel not being too afraid to do that at the same time can you imagine a scenario where he puts rondo into that starting lineup in favor of danny green i i cannot i don't think he's got that level of verb within him uh yeah i don't necessarily know that any scenario will, would necessitate rondo starting and and yeah frank vogel's rigidity with, with altering the starting lineup um you know there's a precedent there i think i mean if anything i think you could go a little bit bigger and sort of have like Mark Markeith Morris isn't your typical shooting guard but he's been playing that sort of similar role and just go big with four forwards and one guard in KCP because LeBron is essentially playing a guard right I mean LeBron's playing everything out there right so that's that's the beauty of having that guy in your lineup and I think you know with this Lakers team they're a little bit more versatile than people give them credit for in terms of how they can match up and I think after game one, at least in this quote-unquote battle for Los Angeles, which is the biggest load of crap I ever heard in my life, because <laughs> I don't care how good the Clippers are ever going to be or how bad the Lakers are ever going to be. It's never going to be a battle for Los Angeles. It's the worst branding thing I've ever seen. Everybody's got to stop talking about it like that. But on that note, after game one, basically everybody in this market here, because you know I'm out here in Los Angeles sitting here saying, oh, the Clippers are definitely the L.A. team. That's the title favorite. The Clippers look good. The Lakers look a hot, like a hot mess. It's going to be the Clippers of any team coming out of L.A. Now, after game two, the narrative has totally flip-flopped and said, oh, Porzingis didn't get ejected from game two, and the Clippers are hurting a little bit, and PG ain't going to shoot the lights out every night like you know some of us might remember. And actually, the Lakers look pretty good here against this Blazers team that was riding hot. So I just find it funny sometimes how fast you know how, how we interpret the reality of these situations can change on a daily basis but you know I, th- I still look at this Lakers team and say look LeBron and AD in a seven game series against anyone good luck to that other team because they're going to need it yeah and, and I think the biggest versatile, versatility the Lakers have with this lineup is that that Anthony Davis can go center and that even kind of turns your lineup into a sort of small ball lineup if he's willing to play center and I know he said he's prefers to not but at the same time he's not dumb and i think he knows he'll play center if he needs to of course and and i think you know that's something he kind of alluded to you know especially earlier in the season he's like look just because i'm not you know playing center right now doesn't mean i'm not going to play center ever but i think you know he's smart and that he has to also sort of gear himself up for the long run so his ability to move inside does open things up for this lakers team especially as they you know hopefully move past the first round and find those uh, matchups in the second round and obviously moving forward. So I think for the Lakers, the biggest thing right now is they really need to use this game as sort of a blueprint or a guide for what went right and replicate some of those same things. And it's not that, 
you know, they were playing a completely different style of basketball. I just think that there was a more intense focus. The, the, the aggressiveness, the assertiveness was there earlier, and the execution was obviously better. And, you know, that's, that's what makes championship teams is in the details and the repetition. And, you know, it's so difficult for, for somebody to sustain that level of excellence over, over a period of time. I mean, going back to, like, Jordan's Bulls, that's what made those dynasties so impressive, right? Of course, with the Lakers as well with Kobe and Shaq uh, and then Kobe thereafter. So with this Lakers, with this Lakers team and, you know, with Mamba Day 824 coming up, wearing the, the Mamba jerseys and all of that, which is going to be awesome, you know, the, the storyline, the Hollywood storyline, quote-unquote, JC, is already built into the script. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, where they're going to go, that's remains to be seen. I mean, I think one of the things I kind of want to see as far as execution with them is, is when – or even if uh, they're going to unveil like the pick and roll with LeBron and AD because it's, I think you've seen glimpses of it. And even back when he played with Kyrie, like the, the Kyrie LeBron pick and roll was almost unstoppable. And I, and I feel like that's a weapon Frank Vogel has in his back pocket that he hasn't released yet. But yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I kind of want to see. Like I think they've got to anchor their games on defense and effort, and that's going to sort of kick the offense into gear. Absolutely. And, you know, I, and I'm looking, I'm looking at this box score right now, JC, and, you know, I'm just seeing some of the minus 28 for Nurkic, minus 29 for Lillard. And, I, and I'm looking up and down this Blazers team. And of course, they've got talent, especially in the backcourt. We know they've got talent inside with Nurkic and Whiteside. But, you know, Melo, I know Melo's uh, sort of had a, a saving grace, but he was invisible tonight. And then you look at this bench and, you know, Gary Trent Jr. can shoot the ball. And I already said, you know, Whiteside off the bench. But after that, JC, woof, it's bad. Yeah. Um, didn't see a lot out of Hazonia. Hazonia, you know, historically has, has, I think, a fairly good history against LeBron. But, yeah, it's, and that he's never really been afraid of him. But, yeah, tonight he was pretty neutralized. I feel like Hassan played pretty well. He had three blocks. But overall, yeah, Anthony, Anthony Davis did get the better of him. You didn't. You didn't see yeah, a lot of one Dwight, of the, Dwight Howard kind of kind of punked him around a little bit. Yeah, you didn't see a lot of the one of the mistakes I was seeing Dwight Howard make a lot in Game One is that he was guarding Hassan Whiteside way out when every time Hassan was out by the three point line, I'm like, he's not going to shoot threes. Why are you out there? And they would always run a pick and roll with with Whiteside, and, and Dwight Howard would always get caught at the free throw line, and so you didn't see a lot of that tonight. What the Lakers did well tonight is that they didn't make any shaving mistakes jc and what i mean by that is they trimmed the fat in the right edges they didn't say oh i could have done that but but did this instead they really shaved it tight and clean and that's why this podcast is sponsored by manscaped obviously this new electric trimmer it's all the bees needs you heard it here you've heard it there you've seen it on billboards we everywhere with this manscaped product third generation trimmer advanced skin safe technology it's water resistant it's got an led light it's got a quiet stroke motor it's got everything and then some it's got more features than my car jc i don't even know what to say about it at this point and <laughs> you can still get it right now plus 20 percent off and free shipping with the code hoop ball 20 that's hoop h-o-o-p ball b-a-l-l 20 or one word at manscape.com. 20% off free shipping and a brand new men manicuring, making sure all your junk is good to go system only from Manscaped using the code HoopBall20. 
So you know the Lakers probably all have those tremors in their lockers at this point, making sure they're tight and ready to go. And now with the Lakers moving on to Game 3, we know there's going to be at least five games in the series, J.C. Do you think that the Blazers, especially with, you know, we'll have to monitor Dame's injury, but especially given his injury and just sort of the, the momentum of where the series has shifted at this point, if the Lakers come out and they play the same style away with the same execution in Game 3 and go up 2-1, I think the Lakers can run away with this series really quickly. But if they don't come out with that same level of, of assertiveness and they sort of sit back on their heels and say, all right, we back in it now, and they let the Blazers breathe, I think the series is going to go six, maybe even seven games. Yeah, I agree. I think I think some of the, the adjustments Portland can make is trying to establish Nurkic a little bit more. And I think the Hassan Whiteside pick and roll, like I mentioned, was working a lot in game one, but that was due to... Dwight Howard playing kind of bad defense on him, and I think that that was sort of adjusted. But yeah, I think um, I think the game plan should still be the same: tenacious defense, and Anthony Davis should be super aggressive and energetic, and that'll that'll sort of kickstart the whole team. One of the things that I really liked about uh, what the Lakers brought to the table tonight is that even though they weren't getting the benefit of the whistle, and I thought that was apparent from the first quarter to the fourth. They didn't let that be a deterrent, and they didn't let that stop them. They, they played through it. They remained aggressive. They didn't settle for jumpers, and that's a huge part of what's going to make them successful because the reality is when you've got LeBron and AD on your team, most of the time you're not going to get the benefit of the whistle because even when LeBron gets smacked around, he's so strong that it doesn't look like he gets smacked around. So Lakers did not get the benefit of the whistle. They only shot 10 free throws tonight, J.C., and they still smacked the Blazers around, and it wasn't really that close for the majority of the game. Yeah, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how often the Lakers started out hot from three throughout the season, but it does seem like they shoot better when they shoot with confidence, and it seems like the only way they can do that is with a lead. And so I I can't remember a lot of times them coming out of the gate hot from three, and so to me it seems like lately they've been shoot, shooting too many threes uh, at the start of a game, and so I think they should focus more on on hard defense, fast offense, and smarter shots. And I think, you know, we start, we started to see that tonight, and I think one of the things with the Lakers is, as a team, even though they do have those consistent pr uh, presence of production in AD and LeBron, but as a team, when they're rolling, they all really feel that momentum because they are a tight-knit group. So I think it benefits all of them. And I'm again, I, I don't want to keep making the same point here, but with Rondo coming back, I'm just so curious to see how this rotation will change yet again because obviously Frank Vogel found some semblance of a blueprint that works tonight. So I'm just going to be very, very curious to see how that goes. Do you have any sort of early predictions as to who takes a back seat here? Is it Caruso who kind of gets uh, the short end of the stick once again? Uh, I think it might be because... And he's still been playing great defensively. So defensively, I, I still think he's doing a lot of the great things that we love. The invisible stats, as I like to call them. He gets deflections. He gets steals. He was really uh, a pesky to Lillard tonight. Uh, but my man is still shooting really horribly from three. Uh, he made one tonight, but I, I talked about it in my solo episode a couple episodes ago where he, on, in the bubble, the bubble games... Cruz is shooting 15% from three, and he was one for four tonight. And so that's just not going to cut it, him shooting that badly. And and yeah, Rondo and Rondo's not a great three-point shooter either, but I'd like to think that he's better than 15%. Oh, I, I mean, 
I think if you're an NBA player, generally you're better than 15% unless you're Shaktis out there. So, you know, I, 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 I would agree with that. And, you know, just a quick note here. I'm just seeing now, obviously, we're recording as, as the game just wrapped up and uh, post-game press conferences are still going. You know, basically, Terry Stotts is out here saying that it's too early to tell for Damian Lillard in Game 3. If the Blazers don't have Damian Lillard in Game 3, I know the Lakers are going to smell blood in the water, and but they still can't sit back. But no Damian Lillard for the Blazers – it's going to be a real problem if that's the case. Yeah, that's uh, they don't have, they won't have a lot to go on. CJ McCollum's going to have to play out of his mind, which he he's been playing good, but he does have supposedly has a, a fracture in his back somehow. I don't know how he's able to play if, if has a fracture so, so, in his so back. I, yeah, so I can actually speak to this because you know I I was never an NBA player. Okay, as we all know, five foot eight ain't going to get you there. Okay, but. What I can say is I've actually had a compressed vertebrae fracture in my back. And so the reason he's able to play is because it doesn't really limit his mobility. I know that sounds weird, but it's more like an uncomfortability. It's like your back is just – if you've ever had a bad back and it just feels like you got to stretch it out, it's tight, it's twisted and stuff like that, but you can still move, groove, and sort of shake it off. It's more like that. So it requires a lot of treatment. Like when I was diagnosed with mine, I wore a back brace. But I didn't wear it to sleep. I could walk around without it. You know, you can still do the, sort of those daily life activities. As an NBA player, that's not a daily life activity. So he's obviously impaired to some extent. But when people are out here saying, how, how could he even play one single second? Basically, that's how. But no, no matter how you slice it or, or how much you try to mitigate it, the reality is he's not operating at 100%. Not to say any of these guys are at this point in the season. But if they don't have Lillard and they've got to compromise McCollum, the Blazers have a major problem that even Trevor Ariza wouldn't be able to save them from. Yeah, it'll definitely uh, affect them up and down, and it'll definitely affect the point spread, which uh, you can take a look at over at mybookie.ag once uh, that line gets posted. And I'd imagine even if the line is posted now, it'll get way adjusted once Lillard, uh, his status is uh, is official. He said he's going to play game three, but we don't know about that. Um, but if you'd like to bet on the next game because it's, Seems like it might be a short bet, especially if Lillard's not going to play. You can do so at mybookie.ag. They have up-to-the-minute odds. So if those odds do change, like I said, you'll see the latest odds at mybookie. Uh, with them, it's easy. You bet, you win, and they pay. And if you sign up with our code HOOPBALL, they will match your deposit at 100%. So, yeah, hoopball or mybookie.ag, promo code HOOPBALL for a 100% deposit match. Man, all we do is hook people up who listen to this show. You ever realize that? Yeah. That's all we do over here, JC. <laughs> I mean, so when you look up and down this Lakers, obviously LeBron, the thing that I like, you know, we talked about LeBron only having 10 points. AD obviously at 31, but when those guys can combine for under 50 points and this Lakers team can still score 110 plus, you're in good shape. You had JR with 11, you had Caldwell Pope with 16, so they combined for 27. JaVale kicked in 10, and, and Kuzma had 7. Dwight had 9. So they got a, kind of got all across the board production. The only player who touched the court for Lakers tonight who didn't score was Jared Dudley. Yeah, I mean, even Quinn Cook got a couple of buckets in there. So all <laughs> around a really good night for the Lakers. I think they've got a lot to sort of take forward with as this team moves forward and tries to get into this first-round series and out of the first round. And I think that, you know, if the Lakers are able to really play their style of basketball, their brand of basketball, and sort of exert their will – these other first-round series that the Western Conference teams are engaging in, they're taking a lot out of these teams, no matter what sort of side of the, of the game each team winds up on. 
I mean, I use the Mavericks and Clippers as an example. Both those teams have taken a lot out of each other already. That's a very exhaustive series. So Lakers would do well to wrap up this first round quickly and let their opposition continue to exhaust themselves as the Lakers try to pop through the rest of this Western Conference. Am I right or what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and just kind of another off note for this box score, one of the things I'll, I'll look forward to is always kind of looking at the stat lines of J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters. J.R. somehow managed to find time to put up nine three-pointers tonight because he is J.R. Smith. Uh, and Dion, funnily enough, didn't put up any three-pointers in 15 minutes. <laughs> Incre- incredible. J.R. Smith took 12 shots, okay, which is the second most on the Lakers tonight <laughs> behind Anthony Davis, which, I mean, like you said, that's J.R. Smith to a T. But at the same time, I know some of those shots were him just trying to get into a rhythm because the guy hasn't played basketball in two freaking years, for Christ's sakes, you know? So yeah. I get it. Like, I get it. But at the same time, I don't think JR as a regular part of the rotation is necessarily going to be implemented because, again, it all depends on Rondo. And when it's, people sit here and say the Lakers don't have depth, you know, JC, we've just spent the last 25 minutes talking about a lot of players not named Le- LeBron James here. Yeah, they definitely showed off their depth tonight. They showed their adaptability to – they haven't had to play a lot of uh, really big teams like Portland. And Portland – Granted, didn't really have Nurkic throughout the, the pre-COVID season. So, and yeah, since then, they've been going with a two-center lineup with him and, and Whiteside. And so, and Whiteside is good. It's not like, it's not like he's a scrub. He's definitely a good, he's a great shot blocker, good rebounder. So both of those guys together, are, uh, you know, definitely something to deal with. And so, yeah, I think the Lakers showed impressive uh, versatility. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because before we get out of here, I did want to bring up against those two bigs. The Lakers did something that they didn't do in game one, and even Stu spoke to it on the broadcast at one point. They went at them. They put the ball on the floor, and they made those big men move their feet. And while Nurkic and Whiteside can both be effective, neither one of them is tremendously nimble on a lateral basis. And that's an advantage that Anthony Davis can continue to exploit as long as he continues to get position and put them in those defensive positions. Because when he does that, he's going to get the benefit of the call more times than not, I think. Yeah, when Anthony Davis gets space and he's got Whiteside one on one, he's going to cook Whiteside every time, as as it was evident uh, on a couple of turnaround jumpers tonight. No doubt, and I think that's that's the modus operandi for the Lakers moving forward: is exploit those mismatches, take take advantage of the personnel that you have, and play your style of basketball. It's kind of like I'll make a baseball analogy to wrap up my piece on it tonight, which is if you're a pitcher, I would rather you beat me when I throw my best pitch versus you beat me when I throw my second or third best pitch because I'm trying to counter what you're doing. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And so that's that's where I'm at with this Lakers team. Obviously a much different, much better feeling than coming out of game one. I think so many people, including probably the Lakers themselves to a certain extent, put so much into that game one, first playoff game in what feels like 25 years. Obviously the year that we've had, everybody has had challenges, but in particular this Lakers organization with Kobe's passing and just sort of some of the traumatic events that have happened in society otherwise that have affected all teams. But Kobe's passing, very unique to this Lakers group. I think this group understands that. I think this group is motivated to do great things. But I think they also just got to remember that the reason that they're in this position in the number one spot is because they sort of asserted themselves, asserted, uh, asserted their will, and made teams beat them or try to beat them based on the Lakers playing their style of basketball, not trying to adjust to other teams' style of basketball. If the Lakers can remember that, I feel a lot more confident in their chances against Portland or anybody else, JC. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right, so you got any final notes, or are we ready to get wrap it up and get out of here? 
Uh, I think we're good. All right, we good to go. As always, you guys, just a reminder, you can follow the show at Hoopball Lakers. We, of course, want you to listen, download, and subscribe the Hoopball Lakers podcast pretty much anywhere where you listen to podcasts, from Stitcher to iTunes to Podbean to the moon. Anywhere podcasts are accessible, we're there. And, of course, you can follow the whole Hoopball family at Hoopball Tweets at Hoopball Fantasy. He's JC at JC DeLeon1 on Twitter. I'm Ethan at Ethan underscore Noroff, N-O-R-O-F, only one F. Don't confuse it. And until next time, game three on the horizon, Rajon Rondo's return. This series is tied at one. The Lakers feel like they're back in the driver's seat. So let's ride the momentum into the weekend. New wave, new series. Let's get it going. We out. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.